As a child, I used to play a game. That game involved running in the dark, finding a place to hide and then awaiting the game's monster to come and try and find me. I can still remember the giddy fear I held as I tried to reduce the sound of my breathing for fear that it would betray my hiding place and highlight me to the monster. It was out of excitement and fun that my heart raced. I was of course afraid of the monster in the dark as I was a child, but I was comfortable in the knowledge that the monster was in fact a family member or a friend. It was just a game. From the imagination of a child. I have never had to experience the role of these two emotions being flipped. An experience of pure fear. A fear that my ability to breathe may lead to my death. I have never experienced that. This is the story of a man who has. In Drumranny, Westmeath, in 1915, a child was born. His name was Paddy Riley. As a young boy, Paddy started his education in the local Drumranny National School. Here he made a lot of friends and was recognised for two natural abilities. He was both a very smart boy and a child in line to be a tremendous athlete should he choose to focus his energies on sport. When not in school or on the sports field, Paddy would work harder than hard on his father's farm. Through the gruelling work on the farm, Paddy grew from a child to a teenager, and he gained a physical power which not many of the other boys had. When his national school days were over, Paddy went to St Finian's College in Mullingar to continue his education. This was somewhat unusual for a farmer's son to do, as he was expected by many to leave school as his national school days ended and work on the farm or get a trade to help further the family finances. Paddy continued in school, however, and again showed he was a very capable student and equally so an athlete. He enjoyed Gaelic football and hurling, but it was rugby where his size gave him a real advantage over the other boys. He was both a powerful runner and a brick wall. After a few years in the secondary school, Paddy was faced with a decision. Should he go back to work on the farm, try to go to a college or university, or should he follow his real passion? A passion which he carried dear to him. It was not in education, nor was it sports. During Paddy's years in St Finian's, he gained a great love for religion and felt it his life's call to become a priest. In the year his education finished, 
Paddy went to Dalgan and began to train to become a priest. For seven years he trained and for seven years he thoroughly enjoyed his time training to be a priest as well as making great friends once again. In his first year in training, Paddy showed what a powerful man he was to his classmates. His friend, Father Bernard Smith, once told the story of the day he first saw Paddy's power. We slept in two separate huts, and during the holidays the two huts played each other in Gaelic, rugby, soccer and hurling. As far as I can remember, nobody was killed, which is a bit difficult to understand when one recalls the rugby match. Only a few of us knew anything about rugby, but we did have the general idea that when an opponent in possession was making for the line, our job was to pull him down. This we did with a will, and we enjoyed doing it. At a critical stage in the game, Paddy made for our line, but there were four or five of us to intercept him, and the situation was safe. Or at least that was what we thought as we went on to attack. What happened during the next 10 seconds or so is a bit of a blur, but finally Paddy crossed our line and touched down with an uncertain number of us clinging fiercely but unavailingly to such of his limbs as we could grasp. In the December of 1940, Paddy became one of 22 students to take the knee at the altar of Dalgan and who were to be announced as priests by the Most Reverend Dr. Brown, the Bishop of Galway. To take a sidestep from Paddy's story, of the 22 young men who knelt at the altar that day, one of them, Father Paddy McMahon, would go on to be killed in France during the war, and another, Father Frank Canavan, would go on to die in a prisoner of war camp in North Korea. Both of these men's stories we will return to at a later date. Once qualified, Paddy was to be sent to Korea in order to form a new parish and spread the word of his church. This was cancelled at the last minute, however, as the war broke out and travel became very unsafe and very unwise. Instead, he was stationed to Clifton in England for the war years. Towards the end of his time in England, he was assigned as a curate in Tisbury and Salisbury, the home of the Magna Carta. In each of his parishes, he was well liked by all. He was a man who was very involved in the community and active in his support of the local sports teams. Being a priest, he was unable to play himself, although he did long to take part. When the war ended, word came through that Paddy could now finally take up his position in Korea. Doing as he was instructed, Paddy packed up his belongings, said goodbye to his friends, and headed off to lands unknown.
1947, Paddy was appointed to Korea, to the new parish of Muko, a harbour town on the east coast, just a little south of the current border with North Korea. Here he bought an old house and rebuilt it as a church. For three years, Paddy worked really hard to make his new parish a home to all. He was known for his hard work and kindness towards the local people. As his parish grew and new friendships formed, Paddy's world was rocked as the Korean War began. It was just two days into the war when Paddy was travelling from his parish to a town in Samchok with his friend Father McGinn. As he travelled, word came through that the residents of Muko were watching on as the North Korean army marched towards his dear parish. Paddy immediately turned back and ran like the wind to get home to them. All 15 miles. He ordered them not to return to their homes, not to gather any belongings, and just to start running as fast as they could to the south. Paddy made sure everyone was gone before he began to worry about himself. When he was sure it was safe for the others, he went to look at where the Northern Army was. Seeing that the army was now too close for him to make an escape, Paddy ran five miles to his friend's house. The friend was called Francis Nam. The Red Army of the North were surprised to see that everyone was gone when they entered the parish. They set out to look for the foreign priest who was polluting Korean mines with ideas from the West. Knowing he was a Catholic man, they went to Francis and asked him to tell them where Paddy was. Francis, loyal to his friend, did not share his knowledge as Paddy hid in his home. When they searched the property, they did not find Paddy, but they did find clothes belonging to him. They took Francis away for questioning. Francis explained he just happened to have them as they were friends and Paddy stayed there sometimes but he was not there now. The guards took Francis back to his home in order to gather all of Paddy's belongings. When they arrived back at the home they tore through it like rabid dogs searching for any signs of Paddy. While Francis had been away, Paddy was performing confessions for those local to Francis, praying with them and giving them blessings. None of these people would have given up where their friend was, such was the position Paddy held in their minds and hearts. It was as the soldiers tore through the house that Paddy was found hiding and praying, in a dark cupboard clutching his rosary beads. They grabbed his hands and tore him from the safety of his friend's sanctuary. He was beaten and tortured in front of his friends 
then tied up and told to march north. The last words Paddy was heard to speak by his friends were as follows. I have done nothing to harm you, nor has my country done anything against yours or any other country. Loosen those ropes. I will not flee. There is no place to which I can escape. He was then taken on his march. Some days later, an old Korean man was gathering pine branches in order to light them to heat his home. As he walked back through the mountains, he spotted a strange pile off the path. He went to approach it and was shocked to discover that it was a body. He ran to the nearby village to tell people and to do something about the body. Young men from the village followed him back up the mountains to find the body of who they described as a foreigner, with fair hair and very tall, and that he was perhaps two days dead at the time. When the war ended, Father Brian Geraghty ventured to Korea to seek news of his friend Paddy. It was here he was told of the body found in the mountains and the locals told him that they had since buried it. He was met by a young Korean Navy officer who had been christened by Paddy and who was now also on the hunt for information as to Paddy's whereabouts. Father Geraghty wrote of his travels. A young Korean Navy officer, a Catholic, came to Muko last December and ever since has been trying to glean all the news he could of Father Riley. From all the reports, he gathered that he must have been killed in a certain locality, which helped him considerably by narrowing down the inquiry. While people here are very slow to answer such questions in detail, he was enabled eventually to meet the old man referred to, who had seen to the burial and who now led him to the grave. The officer questioned the old man concerning the clothes, height, colour of hair and other details of the dead man and then questioned Nam Francis to see if the old man's answers tallied with the catechist's memory of Father Riley when he had last seen him. Afterwards, the officer opened the grave and had the remains removed and buried in Muko. He would have preferred to have some or all of us priests present for the exhumation and reburial, but as the Reds were again only a few miles from Kangnung, he thought it better not to delay. He did send a letter, and last week I drove to Muko and once again opened the grave. While very little but the bones remain, I was able to recognise the dental formation as Father Pat's. He had long and somewhat irregular teeth. I have no doubt about the remains, and I left him there to rest alongside the place where he was to have built the church last September. The 35-year-old Paddy Riley was one of seven Irish priests to have been beautified by Pope Francis as they lost their lives in the early days of the Korean War, saving as many people as they could. In 2013, 
a monument was unveiled in Korea honouring their memory and that of an Irish missionary sister who also died there. Each of whose stories we will return to another day. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish and leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dunn, Gurav Mahakut, Slán Anish.